your attitude to what happens to you on that day in that moment, right? Because in any given time of any given day, no matter what happens, there's a stimulus, right? Whether it's whether you view it as a positive or a negative, but there's a stimulus. So you're running a marathon at mile 20, um, the wheels fall off and your legs are tired and they're sore and you start having negative thoughts. Well, that's a stimulus, right? Whether you, you know, coronavirus comes around and knocks us all um, for six, there's a stimulus. And in, but when there's a stimulus, whether it's over a long period of time or whether it's a, 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 an instant, something happens immediately, then there's a gap between when the stimulus happens and you, you, get, you get an opportunity to choose your own personal Hey, attitude. I'm Brett Gornick. I'm Jason Lobig. Welcome to the Live Better Podcast. Best day ever. We are coaches, trainers, retreat leaders, and wellness advisors, but didn't start our careers doing this. Jason worked in public accounting, and I worked in corporate retail until starting our dream business in which we help people from all different industries pursue their best day ever every single day. The goal of this podcast is to interview both each other and other professionals making an impact on the world on how wellness is the fuel to do whatever it is in life you want to do better. This podcast is about teaching people to actively pursue their purpose and how to use self-care to do it. We're here to show you how the best day of our mindset is available to anyone at any time, no matter your circumstance. It's your choice and we're here to encourage you. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and even YouTube. You can also listen to our podcast on www.livebetterco.org. Have the best day ever. Live Better Podcast fam, we are here, Jason and Brett, with Luke Tyberski. Super pumped to chat with you. Uh, right before we popped on, we talked about the challenge that you just literally finished uh, so yesterday. Uh, so let's start with that because I think that's a really cool way just to show that uh, you're a hustler and then we'll dive into what you're doing. So what did you just complete for the last 31 days? Well, first of all, guys, I want to say thank you very much for having me on the Live Better podcast. Uh, I'm excited to have a good chat with you. And yeah, you, you asked me before we got on, how am I? And I'm always trying to be um, honest all the time, whether it's good or bad. And I said, I'm tired, right? And the reason why I'm a little bit tired is I set off in the month of August to run what um, some people call the calendar club. And it's and it's really simple concept, right? On the first of, first of the month, you run one mile. On the second of the month, you run two miles. On the third of the month, three miles, all the way up until you get to the final day of the month. So in August this year, 2020, there's 31 days in the month. So I ran 31 day, 31 miles yesterday. And if you add all of that up really quickly, it's adds to 496 miles over the 31 days. So you, you ran <laughs> six straight marathons. Yeah. yeah. Five ultra marathons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what a, day was the hardest? What day was the hardest? Um, for me, it was day 24, I think it was. Um, basically, my, my legs just didn't want to play that day they were like, you know what? Nah, I'm not really feeling it today. And they were stiff. They were tired. They were sore. 
Um, my, I wasn't trying to run at any pace. I was running at just what I call my comfortable pace where like I didn't have pace or speed or um, even time on my watch. I just had the miles. So just to know how many miles to run. And I was, as long as I was comfortable, then I knew that was the right pace for me that day. But on the 24th, oh man, my, my legs and my body were just like, come on, give me a day off. But uh, I sucked it up and, and I kept going. But I do want to also point out uh, something that we didn't discuss earlier. I did another challenge at the end of July and I was going to have a week off between the two, but because of technical difficulties, I had one day off. So on the 30th of July, I did an Everesting challenge, which is basically on your bike, you cycle up and down one singular climb until you climb the height of Everest. And I did that inside on my turbo trainer one day, so the 30th of July, before I started the calendar <laughs> club in August. Yeah, that was a good planning planning maneuver. <laughs> yeah, so that's what the last 33 days or 32 days has been like for me. So, yeah. Well, that is a really adventurous way to spend the last month. And I think that during the current you know, times that we're in, a lot of people are kind of just like really, I think I've, I've noticed two things. I've noticed people that are really doing like that, taking advantage of this time and, and, and doing cool things, whether that's self-learning or challenges or really just like diving into what they're doing and why they're doing it. And then you see a lot of people that are falling into kind of a new routine of just very sedentary and very complacent and a lot of you know, sitting down, waking up and you're in your space all day long. And, you know, we've worked a lot with people just to like differentiate what you're doing in different spaces. And like, you know, Jason and I are so happy that we have an office space just to like call a place to work and then a place to go home. And then, you know, gyms have started to open back up. So what are, what are some of the things that, you know, with the current conditions of the world, um, that you've noticed, you know, where your mind is going, how you're starting to think, was this challenge because of, you know, COVID and all that? Or, or how has that been? How have you been feeling with all that? Yeah, I definitely agree that, that most people, so I'm in London for everyone who's listening. Um, I'm an Aussie. Uh, I grew up in Australia. I did live in America for about four or five years. So uh, um, I, I enjoyed my time over there. But I definitely feel like as well with people who I've spoken to around the world, um, they fall into two camps. There are people who are like almost like painting themselves as victims and their life sucks and their life's changed and they've had all these things taken away from them. They can't live their life how they want to and poor me and it's really hard. And, you know, at the start of all of this, like we're talking end of February, start of March, I started doing Instagram lives every day. And one of the first Instagram lives I did for my online community was why I'm excited for this lockdown because I knew it was an opportunity to do something different, to slow down, to view the world, to actually, you know, move forward um, personally, professionally, emotionally because the world was slowing down around us. So I viewed it as an opportunity and I got super excited and I tried to encourage my, mm -hmm. my community to get excited as well. Even if you were, you know, not working or got laid off or you couldn't see family and friends, they're like, I'm used to that. My, my parents and some of my best friends live on the other side of the world. So I'm used to not seeing them. So I'm trying to encourage people, look, use this as an opportunity for either personal development or, you know, if you're living with your, your partner, 
develop your relationship or if you've always wanted to, you've had a side hustle and you've never quite really put the effort into it. Well, if you've been laid off or or you're not having to go to work, now is the time to do that. So see this this period of time that we're all in as an opportunity. Um, So that was the first part of um, how I saw the world around me and the people who I engaged with and people who I work with as well is they definitely fell into those two camps. And the reason why I've done these challenges is, well, part of what I do for a living is these big challenges. And I work with different brands and have people who support me. And um, I speak around the world about these challenges. And I've spoken to audiences across the globe about how to overcome obstacles and adapt to setbacks um, when we're faced with them in everyday life, whether it be physical life or professional life or personal life. So these big challenges for me is where I go to learn. It's like my own personal university. I go and test out the principles and the processes and the frameworks that I teach in the field. And this is my field, ultra-endurance sports. So with the world, how it has turned into at the moment, everything that I had planned for this year was cancelled. I had ultra-marathons in um, Scotland I had a big triathlon in Switzerland. I had all these other races that I was going to do and challenges and everything got cancelled. So I'm thinking, right, what am I going to do? I've been training, you know, been training hard for it from the end of last year, start of this year. And I've got all this sort of bike fitness and a bit of run fitness and that. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? I can sit here and go, oh, this is cancelled and that's cancelled and, and, you know, I've lost all this work because I can't go and do this event and I make money off the back of doing events and, and helping out brands and writing magazine articles and all this sort of stuff and clients who I coach can't hire me anymore because they can't afford it and people who I booked to, for to have me to speak at their company or, or whatever or do a workshop or a webinar, uh, it's been cancelled. I could say, oh, man, you know, that sucks. I'm not going to do anything. Or as I said right at the start, I looked at this time as an opportunity and with the events and challenges that I had planned cancelled, I was like, right, now where can I build off this opportunity and create something to help me as a person, um, as an athlete and for my company move forward? Yeah, that is, I think that that's the, that is a, it's a strong approach because there are, you know, everybody has dealt with things canceled and, and so many other other things. And it's, you know, it's one of those it's one of those times to really test the the practices. And I think running is a really good tool for that. Um, Jason and I ran our, our first marathon last year and um, put in about a full year training cycle to prepare for it. Um to, to try to hit a pretty lofty time target for a first timer and to see the resilience you get from running and to see that, you know, you, I mean, you felt this last month probably more than, than anybody um, is the, just the, the, the need to show up regardless of the conditions, regardless of how you feel um, you have to put in the work to get to the goal you want to do. And so I think running builds a lot of that resilience. And then with that, you have to then say like, how does, Like, what am I learning from this physical and mental journey? Obviously, when you're running more than 10, 15 miles, it's a very mental process to just sit with yourself for that amount of time um, to say, like, 
you know, I'm building up this capacity, like you said, aerobically, um, but you're also building up a lot of other things, like whether it's grit or whether it's mental endurance. Um, and I think that in times like this, when those things get tested to have worked through things like you've done physically in the past, it shows and you're able to then t- look at different things differently and say, I'm going to just use this as an opportunity and build from this. And I think that that's a really good insight because, you know, obviously like we're all, we're, I'm on the same page as you in the regards to like, what are the opportunities here? How can we use this to, to grow? And with that though, I think is, is an understanding that, you know, we have, we have this and this opportunity, but we've also prepared through other journeys and journeys that you've self-inflicted on yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, I think a large part of it comes down to your attitude to what happens to you on that day in that moment, right? Because in any given time of any given day, no matter what happens, there's a stimulus, right? Whether it's whether you view it as a positive or a negative, but there's a stimulus. So you're running a marathon at mile 20, um, the wheels fall off and your legs are tired and they're sore and you start having negative thoughts. Well, that's a stimulus, right? Whether you, you know, coronavirus comes around and knocks us all um, for six, there's a stimulus. And in, when there's a stimulus, whether it's over a long period of time or whether it's a, 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 an instant, something happens immediately, then there's a gap between when the stimulus happens and you you get, you get an opportunity to choose your own personal attitude. So there's a stimulus, you get to choose your attitude, and then you take action. Now, the, the example I, re- I like to use with this, and it really gets people thinking, is imagine if the stimulus is someone slapping you in the face for no apparent reason, right? That gap between the stimulus and you choosing your attitude is literally a millisecond. What is going to be your action, okay, when someone slaps you in the face? You've got to understand that in between when that stimulus happens and your action, it's your choice whether you choose a positive attitude, a negative attitude, or a less negative attitude, okay? If you can't go full positive, can you just choose a less negative attitude? So as I said, like whether it's running or in everyday life, we have to understand that whether we choose a positive or a negative attitude or a less negative attitude, it's still our choice because there's a stimulus, you choose your attitude, and then after that, then you take action. Does that make sense? Yeah, that is, I think that's, that is totally it. What are some ways in which, I, I love that because it shows the step-by-step process between, and we actually just had another really cool guy on our podcast that, that phrased it this way and I really liked it. It was uh, a reaction versus a response. Mm-hmm. And a response is much more, even if it's quick, it's much more thoughtful and and something that you can look back and say, okay, well, I responded. But a reaction could be, you slap me, I slap you without without any mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. thing. And so, what are some ways that you, you know, and I, and I want to talk about. I like the slap of the face example. What are some ways in which you build up the ability in a quick situation like that to not make a negative? decision or action you've got to understand in life that there's going to be stimuluses that happen to you 
every moment of every day. So just being thoughtful that there's going to be stimuluses all around you every day. So first and foremost, that there's stuff that is going to happen to you, right? So you acknowledge that and you can do that just now. You can think about it and you think about it more. Maybe if you meditate, maybe that's something you can think about, right? But the biggest thing is whether someone slaps you in the face or whether it's a slow, drawn-out stimulus, maybe your company is is slowly going under or maybe you're trying to chase that marathon time and your marathons, your, your miles splits are getting slower and slower and slower and you can see that that stimulus is dragging on over time, that makes sense. So the first thing I tell anyone and the first thing that I do is when an unfavorable stimulus um, literally and figuratively slaps you in the face is breathe. Take a deep breath, you know, just stop for a second because when you take a breath, you create space in your life. You create space um, physiologically. I I have an exercise science degree. That's my background. So you create space in, in your respiratory system, in your lungs, all right, for the air to come in. And when you create space, that creates time. So then you can go from reacting and slapping someone back to actually thinking about, no, I'm going to choose a positive attitude here and um, the action I'm going to take is going to bounce off that positive attitude. So the first thing is to breathe and, and, and create space in your life if you know, someone slaps you in the face or you start running slower or you see your company starting making less and less money every month, like create space in your life to then be able to review the situation to see what's happened. So if you got slapped in the face, why did that person slap you in the face? If you react, you, you, you don't have time to ask that question. So you've got to be able to breathe so you can review the situation. That's, that's what I would say is the first thing that you need to do. What are um, what are some ways that you have practiced that yourself? Besides, like meditation, do you use certain parts of your training? Um, do you plan in breaks from what you do for work? Do you plan in breaks away from relationships that take time from you? How are some ways that you implement that on a day to day basis? Because I think Brett and I have gotten good about um, creating space for ourselves, both in terms of creating space so we can work on our business and then also creating space so that we can unplug from work because live better is a lifestyle business. So we build a lot of work around stuff that we love to do for fun as well. And I think for people whose lives tend to get very overwhelming, um, they have a hard time creating that space. I think a lot because they just don't know how to either communicate that or how to actually bake that into a schedule. So How are some ways that you do that? Because I would also imagine you kind of run like your own lifestyle business. Like what you do for work is seemingly what you enjoy doing for fun as well. So how do you think about creating some space when something for work or something in your life starts to, you know, become negative or you start to see that performance dip? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I, I think small to create big. And what I mean by that is... You know, for an example, people ask me, oh, do you meditate? And I first got introduced to meditation uh, in like 1997 as a 14-year-old um, at an elite level soccer team. 
you know, we're laying on this floor with this, um, what did they call it, like a performance coach, you know, this 14-year-old kids laying on this floor at this, at this camp, at this soccer camp, and this, this woman's telling us to breathe in and breathe out and just focus on our breath, let the thoughts come and go. This is like 1997, right? And all these guys in my team are like kicking me and laughing at me and thinking like, what the hell's going on? This is ridiculous. But I'm getting into it. You know, like I'm thinking, no, no, like don't talk to me. Like this is awesome. I see the benefits. So I got introduced to meditation a long time ago and there's definitely been times where it's it's moved away from my life but I've also brought it back in and it's quite regular now. So to use meditation as um, as an example, I don't sit and meditate for like 20, 30 minutes um, and it's not because for any other reason is that I found what works for me is to create really small spaces in my day or create small spaces in, uh, say, a run as well um, to actually check in. So I might meditate 15 times a day, but it might be for two minutes each time. So when you say to someone, Oh, make sure you meditate or, or, you know, if you're feeling overwhelmed, just stop and take a break. And people normally say, oh, take five or 10 minutes. But sometimes if you say, I'm going to take 10 minute break three or four times a day, that's like 40 minutes. Like that's too much. But you say to someone, okay, when you do a task, take two minutes to go and sit in a corner, sit in a quiet um, space, take 20 breaths, send yourself and go back. That's what's worked for me. Like sometimes I will walk, I live on a, um, in, a, in a suburb outside of central London and I'll walk into the town centre to do some grocery shopping or whatever and sometimes on a weekend, it's, as we're right on the river, it's a very beautiful part, it's jam-packed with people and sometimes it's just manic and I'll walk over the bridge and I'll just stop and have like a minute or so just to relax and, and calm after I've you know, been in the supermarket with loads of other people running around crazy on the weekend. So that's how I create space in my life. And say for a run, um, let's say the other day when I did day 24 was a tough day for me. My legs didn't want to go. My legs didn't want to run when I did the calendar club running 24 miles. I always say to myself, okay, every like 10 miles, 10 and then 20 miles, I will check in and I'll just breathe and I'll like do some running meditation, so to speak, and I'll just check in with myself. So for me, it's like slowing everything down. Nothing else matters apart from what I'm doing in that moment. It might be for a minute or two. So whether it's just in your everyday life, thinking small to make lots of small little breaks throughout the day after a task, before a task, you know, before you're going to a meeting, um, after you've had a, a meeting, before you walk in the door. So if you drive home and you go into the house with your partner, your friend, whoever you live with or into the house with your family for dinner, in the car, have two minutes to yourself to do some breathing, to create that space to be able to then let others in. So that's how I do uh, do creating space in my life. I think small, so in terms of time-wise, but then if you do that consistently over the day, it makes a big impact. It's really interesting you say that because I've started to do a lot of the same, and when I can't do that, I that's when I feel overwhelmed. And I 
<laughs> I take these little like tiger snoozes where I just lay down and just close my eyes. And sometimes it's, I set a three minute timer. Mm-hmm. If it's a great day, I get to set a 20 minute timer. Um, and I never fully fall asleep, but I can get myself into this, like sort of just beyond where I could feel if I was meditating, but just before where I would feel if I fell asleep. And I feel on the best days, even on pretty stressful days, if I can do that like two to four times, the day is like remarkably better. And that just sort of simple unplug and reset just by almost saying it and setting the timer, like setting everything down um, is really important to me. And I feel like we have been coaching and talking to a lot of people on the fact that like taking a break away from hard work just to scroll your Instagram or turning on the TV or consuming any type of information is not really a true break. And I feel like people get themselves into trouble now by feeling like, oh, I'm going to take my lunch break. And instead of actually just sitting down to enjoy the food and unplug, they have some type of what they feel like is very passive media or information kind of playing in the background, but you are very actively consuming that. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And then you don't have any time, like that's filling, like to use the analogy I was saying before, that's filling up the space that you're trying to create, right? You're consuming. So you're putting more and more and more and more into this space that you're not making any space for. So then you get overwhelmed, you get back to work, you're restless, you don't feel recharged, you don't feel refreshed, and then you just get stale in the afternoon. And then that's when you start not really enjoying life and you get distracted and you get bored and you, you stop being productive and then that's just a downward spiral. When you were uh, when you were in the phase of deciding to write a book, can you talk us through that? Well, my, my book story, like pretty much all of my stories, isn't linear. <laughs> it's, it, it goes backwards, forwards, it goes every direction, right? So the first thought of writing a book, um, the, the first thought of writing a book was when I came back from spending about six weeks in Nepal. So I went out to Nepal um, to run down the world's highest uh, mountain, Mount Everest, and do the world's highest ultramarathon. Um, which is called the Everest Ultra. So it's uh, it was 35, no, sorry, 40, 40 miles down from base camp down to the to the little airport at Lukla. So you start at, um, oh yeah, so it's like 5,500 metres, I, I don't know, in feet. So it must be like 20,000 feet, uh, 18,000 feet maybe uh, at base camp on Everest down to like 10,000 feet, 40 miles Um but I didn't want to go out and just do the race. So I got in touch with the race director and basically somehow convinced him that he should let me put me in touch with some of the elite Nepalese ultra runners that I started to see pop up in the uh, elite events around the world. This is back in 2013. And I went out to Nepal and spent four weeks high up in the rural mountains where a lot of these people had never seen Westerners before you know, talking about three buses and uh, seven hours from Kathmandu and then a six-hour hike over a couple of mountains to get to this little village on a ridge, living with no water, no electricity, um, literally living off the land. And I did that for four weeks before I then went back to Kathmandu, um, went over to Lukla and climbed up 
Mount Everest to base camp and then ran back down. So I had this like amazing experience and I wrote a few magazine articles for different magazines, running magazines, adventure magazines, all that sort of stuff. And I came back and I just thought, and I started to tell my friends of some of the adventures I was on and things like that. And they're like, you need to write a book. And I was like, yeah, for some reason, like my background in exercise science, I used to be a professional soccer player. I do ultra endurance stuff now. But for some reason in my, in my head as a kid, I always thought it'd be really cool to write a book. I don't know why. It's probably like ego driven, but I thought that would be cool. Write a book, have it in my little personal library. That would be awesome. So I was like, yeah, this is it. I'm going to write it about my Nepalese adventure because I did a lot of stuff over there. It was cool. And then I started to write, I started to write, I started to write, and then my long-term relationship broke down and we were together for uh, about five, six years. That spiraled me quite, uh, quite bad. I had a pretty dark battle with depression and I stopped writing for like uh, two years. And that's a long time to put down a book that you probably wrote 60,000 words on. And then I went out to Spain and I did, so two and a half years later, I went out and did a big challenge called the Ultimate Triathlon, um, first ever event of this type where it was a 2,000 kilometer in 12 day swim, cycle and run from Morocco to Monaco. So I, I swam the Strait of Gibraltar, which is between Morocco and Spain cycled the entire southeast coast of Spain and then ran um, from the Spanish-French border to Monaco. And then when I finished that, another good friend of mine who's actually a writing coach and a journalist herself and an author too, she said, you need to write a book about the ultimate triathlon because that was crazy. I had a documentary made about it that's on Amazon Prime, but she's like, you need to write a book about where you came from as as a soccer player, all your adventures and things like this. And I said to her, well, actually, I started writing this book about my Nepal trip, sent it to her. She's like, this is awesome. You've got this two-year gap in your life, a two-and-a-half-year gap in your life. We just need to fill that in, and then we'll put the ultimate triathlon in, and then that'll be great. But little did she know that two-and-a-half-year gap in my, in my life that I stopped writing was the darkest uh, time I've had in my 37 years on this planet uh, where I had a pretty dark battle with depression, um, insomnia, binge eating, and there wasn't a whole lot of self-love going on in that period of time. So eventually in 2016, I finished writing the book. I filled in all that uh, that space in my life. And then after the Ultimate Triathlon, there was a bit more of life that happened. So I finished that off as well. So in 2018, yeah, it was the end of 2018, my book finally got published. So as I said, the, the writing the book wasn't just like, oh, I've got this idea, I'm going to write a book and I went and did it. It was very much, it went forward, it went back, it went up and it went down and that's the story of Chasing Extreme, my book. What, um, how did you address your, personally, how did you address your depression? Because that happened after you had already started racing. And, and uh, it, it happened still when I was playing soccer. So, it oh, was, okay. yeah, it started at the end of my career when I got a lot of injuries, um, soft tissue injuries. I had uh, three surgeries in 11 months when it was at its worst. Um, and I was in a really dark place, didn't tell anyone, didn't talk about it with my long-term girlfriend at the time and just really um, hid away from the world. 
And then I finally decided to retire from soccer um, at the ripe old age of 28 just because I'd been about uh, two and a half years without a full-time contract um, and I just kept being injured. So I uh, was running out of money. I didn't play any top leagues or anything. I played in lower leagues but um, still played about seven years professional around the world. And running out of money, running out of drive and it got to a point where I just like, okay, I'm done, I'm retired and then how I addressed my, my mental health battles personally, I started doing endurance sports because I had this loss of identity of I'm not a soccer player anymore. That's all I ever wanted to do as a kid. And then I'm like, well, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I don't really know. I'm having all these really negative thoughts. I didn't really understand them. I was depressed and when I was like not playing soccer and for some crazy reason and this race popped into my head that my friends were talking about. So I thought, right, I'm just going to say I'm going to do these endurance sports and throw myself into um, this new world and I became addicted. Um, when you – do you ever still suffer from any um, of the lingering effects of that depression or how does that – how do you feel like that – um, running ultras and, and getting into racing like that um, has either helped or kind of distracted you from that kind of dark phase. Because I'm always interested about people who go through that at a younger age in life where they find something that it, it pulls them out of that. And I'm always interested to hear whether those people still feel affected by that headspace that probably lasted obviously for more than a day, a week, a month. Um, especially if that phase was longer or a few years of time. So how did, how did racing either pull you out of that, distract you from that? And then how do you kind of still think about, um, either ultra racing or training as, um, some therapy, kind of like self therapy for you to be able to change your, your mental state? Yeah. Look, ultra endurance sports, broke me down quite literally um, physically uh, which I talk about a lot in my book um, mentally and emotionally it it crippled me and I, and I don't use that term loosely I, I did no swimming cycling running strength training for 18 months um, so it quite literally stopped me in my tracks um, after the ultimate triathlon and so it broke me down, but then it also gave me a chance to build myself back up. And what I mean by that was I became addicted to endurance sports because the only time I felt free from my demons, um, so to speak, was when I was out running for two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight hours, when I was out cycling for you know days on end or when I was swimming 10-kilometer races in the ocean. When I was in those moments of doing the actual endurance sports, I felt alive. I felt like myself. I felt free. I was just like nothing else matters except putting one foot in front of the other, except pushing on the pedals or taking that extra, that next stroke in the, in the ocean or, or in a lake. So I became addicted to that, right? And I wasn't, I wasn't at a space in, in myself where I was willing to do the hard work to actually ask myself, who am I? How do I want to live my life and heal the wounds of 
um, things that have happened previously in my life, like my break relationship, my my loss of identity as as a soccer player, and I wasn't willing to do the hard work um, to sort of heal heal those wounds. So I became addicted to endurance sports. Then that turned into a a, um, a, a state of self harm where I turned to binge eating to make myself feel better about myself. So I would, <clears throat> excuse me, have um, tubs of ice cream and loaves of bread and all the rest of it and then not eat for two days but do like, you know, a six-hour run one day and a six-hour bike ride the next day. So that was a detrimental effect as well. And there was a couple of times where I didn't really want to live anymore. So I went to, I stood on tops of bridges thinking, I don't want to do this. Um, and so it was quite dark. Like I'm, I'm talking like it's very jovial, but I've done a lot of work to get to where I am today. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I feel like that only when I could, I, I was forced to stop physically um, because after the Ultimate Triathlon, um, which if you read in my book, it really broke me down that I had a lot of health issues. I I couldn't do any escapism that was endurance sports. So I had to actually focus on who I am and what I want to do with my life. So I hope that sort of answered the first part of your question. But the flip side to that is now I have a much healthier relationship with endurance sports because I do view it as a way of meditation and I do view it as a way of getting to know myself. So people ask me, why do I run? And there's two reasons. I run because I love spending time with people who are like-minded and, and it connects me with people, but it also and more so connects me with me. So I really spend a lot of time in my own head so I can ask myself the difficult questions and I can have hours to answer them and I can really get in touch with the core of me, the core of Luke of, okay, what are the values that you want to live on a daily basis and how is it that you're treating people in your life and how do you treat strangers and, and all of these type of questions, when you've got four or five or six or ten hours to run, you can start asking these questions and you can dig deep and you've got time to run around the answer. But then at, at the end of it, you're going to come to a point where you realize this is how I want to live my life. This is how I want to treat myself and want to treat others. And this is how I want to try and move forward with things. So it's definitely helped me in terms of um, developing myself. And as I said earlier, it's a way where I go to, this is where I get my education, doing endurance sports because I go and test out all the things that I teach others and, and I work with others and I coach others. But then also it's got where I go and learn about myself, where I'm at in this uh, phase in time in my life. I love that you talked about it um, as sort of like a, that ultra for you has gone through phases and that you address the relationship with it. I spend a good amount of time in Colorado and I meet all types of people who <laughs> yeah. definitely use ultra, especially people who participate in endurance sports as an escape. And then they don't turn around and then do the hard work. It's kind of like, what are you just asking the question kind of consistently? Like, what are you running from? And I want I have, I have kind of a two part question for you. 
and you sort of started to answer it, but I, I would love you to go deeper on it. How do you control the sport of endurance racing or ultra as a tool rather than let it slip back into a crutch? So if you ever find yourself just kind of angry pounding trails or asphalt on a bike um, <laughs> or meters in a pool, how, how do you kind of control using training as a tool instead of a crutch? And then the second part is you mentioned when you, when you are able to be really reflective and sort of consider the lessons that you're trying to teach yourself, some of the things that you teach, how do you then, after you're done training, go and act on it? Like what do those reflection techniques entail when you come back and you say, okay, I had this self-realization. And then when you're not training in the hours that you are participating in your relationships, when you're focusing on work, how do you then go in and implement those things that come up during a run? Yeah, great questions. Um, so like the easiest way to answer the first one is like, you know, how it's a fine line between ultras being a tool um, and also a crutch to lean on. And I see, I see athletes and like ultra or even just endurance athletes and they're doing ultra marathons and all these big triathlons and stuff. And I'm like, there's more to, there's more to that story than they're letting on. And funny enough, a year or two or three years later, a blog post comes out, a video comes out of saying that they have been battling with this thing for years. And I, I, I've, I'm not going to name any names, but there's been probably four or five people over the last eight years where probably six six years where I've seen people just on social media, people I don't even know. There's been one or two that I've known, but even on social media, and I'm like, there's something else going on there. I can see it because it's exactly what I was going through, you know. Um, so it's a very fine line, but how, how do I – how am I able to not just completely lean on it? Um, the simple answer is experience because, I said, as I said, like I, it broke me right down um to where i was so basically i overtrained and i wasn't treating my body with the with enough respect before i did the 2000 kilometer 12 day ultimate triathlon from morocco to monaco um and after it my endocrine system started shutting down so i my body stopped secreting um, certain hormones i was having headaches for like six and eight hours a day and i had to go see a neurologist and had to take some medication to sort of re refire a, a couple of parts of my brain that was sort of like if you think of a, a light bulb flickering and you turn it just a little bit and it stays on. So basically had to do that to a part of my brain because um, there was a few things going on with my nervous system. So I like I properly broke it down, not just soft tissue-wise but different systems of the body. So having that experience of quite literally being broken um <laughs> is 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 a good reminder but also for me um it's having a team around me and my wife who i met um when i was pretty much at my worst um with my mental health i didn't reveal it to her at the time and she's been super supportive um she came out as my medical team officer she's an osteopath and she came out as my as my medical team officer for the ultimate triathlon after only knowing me for like 
four or five months and I thought, I'm either going to be single at the end of this thing or I've got a keeper, you know. So um, I married her and uh, we're still married now. So that was a good, good, good call. But uh, she's extremely supportive. So it's having a team around me of when I plan on doing these big challenges, right? And you talk to, I would say, 95% of the people who do ultra, ultra endurance stuff, like the stuff, sort of stuff that I do, is they very rarely talk about, I made this decision, um, it's me, I, it's, it's very rarely that. It's always we made these decisions. And what that is, it could be just two or three people. It could be eight or ten. But when I have a big idea, I will talk to her. I will talk to a couple other friends who are ultra-endurance athletes and run it by them and say, look, I'm planning on doing this. And I'll start structuring my training. And if I'm having a bad day, I think big picture. You know, this is what I do for a living and this is what I want to do. And I also look at it in the fact that, okay, if I want to achieve what it is I want to achieve in the future, and you can translate this to anything in life. If I want to achieve what I want to achieve in the future, that big challenge that I wanted that I wanted to achieve in 30 days, in 31 days, whatever, then I have to focus on the key fundamentals today that I'm going to do that's going to enable me to give me a chance to achieve what it is I want to achieve in the future. So if I'm not focusing on the key fundamentals that I need to do today, the daily processes that I have to do today to give me a chance to achieve what it is I want to achieve in the future, then I'm sabotaging myself and I'm wasting my time. So if I want to go out and I'm just annoyed and, and frustrated at the world and sometimes just I want to get on my bike and go and ride hard for like three or four hours, I'm thinking, how is that going to help me achieve what it is I want to achieve in the future? It's not. Okay, so what else can I do right now to alleviate that frustration rather than just falling back to old habits from four and five years ago where it's just being detrimental and using ultra-endurance as a crutch? So it's it, it's enabled me to actually stop and go, okay, I have to use my sport and my disciplines of my sport as facilitators rather than inhibitors, if that makes sense. Um, and then the second part or the second question was the then how do I pull out the, the knowledge, like using like the reflection techniques, I think you said, um, from these ultra-endurance um, challenges I do from long runs, how do I pull out things that I've learned about myself is I have a nice little reflection technique and it's five steps. Stop, look, listen, ask questions and learn. So first and foremost, you've got to stop, okay? And this can be um, stop your mind running. This can be stopping physically. This can be stopping um, having emotional attacks on yourself. So for me, you know, when I stop after a run, it might be to stretch. It might be to meditate. It might be just to have a bath, you know. So I stop. So when you stop, as I said before, saying when you breathe, you create space. And then I look. I look within. What is it that I went through during my run? What is it that I battled with in my mind during my, during my run? Or what is it what is I was talking about? So I dive into myself and I look within. And then... I listen. 
I actually don't just sort of go, oh, well, yeah, I was, I was talking about I'm struggling to connect piece A and piece B. And I actually listened to the conversation that I was having, but almost like I was a third person. You know, so you have that conversation with your help, with yourself. But when I listen, I actually listen to the conversation. What are the tools? What are the things that I can get out of hearing that conversation in my head? And then I ask, ask questions. So how can I be better? How could I change it? Um, how could I make the result differently? How, what do I need to do right now to be better? So to, to do that um, and then learn. So stop, look, listen, ask questions and then learn. Because if you do all of that, if you actually stop and reflect and, so, and then you gain all this knowledge, right? Like there's the old saying, knowledge is power. I think that's completely rubbish, right? Knowledge is power only if you understand it and use it. So stop, look, listen, ask questions and learn. You have to be able to learn from when you're stopping to reflect um, from those conversations. And when you learn, you gain knowledge. But like a, a medical textbook, right? We could have the, a, a final year medical textbook and it's full of knowledge, right? All about the body, all about disease and everything. Now, I could read it and it's full of knowledge, but I don't understand it and I can't apply it. So Knowledge isn't powerful because there's this book of knowledge, but I, I can't use it. So knowledge is powerful only if you understand it and use it. So I go through that, that reflection, the power of reflection, I call it. Stop, look, listen, ask questions and learn after a long run or even during a run um, where I was, I was, my stop element of it will be I will stop my brain running left and right and I'll just focus on that moment. So that's how I... Um, extract knowledge out of certain situations scenarios or outcomes during endurance sports and also everyday life to then gain insight into what i've been thinking about or what i've gone through what i think is super interesting about listening to you say that too is i'm and i'm sure you have recognized this in the past but before you even get to the run i think the most important thing you do in that whole process is just be very intentional about how you plan to use the run. Like that is not for you a retroactive thing where you're like, oh, I'm suddenly running and I have this insight. Now I go through this framework I've developed. Like you know that running, biking, swimming, competing is a tool and you are very intentional now about using that training as a tool to both help your mental and physical health. And I think that is so important for people to realize because it takes, I think, most people who don't have a relationship with a good, positive relationship with their physical health, it takes those people some type of breakthrough physical experience or a workout to start to understand like, oh, wow, this has a ton of benefit on everything else that I do in my life. And Brett and I have worked really hard for Live Better to be not only this community of people participating in wanting to be better, but we use all these things we teach and train for as tools to then create better outcomes. And I think with how intentional you are about how you go about your training, like that seems to me the most impactful thing. You've, you've decided before you've even started to use it as a tool instead of just something that you're like, oh, I, I don't really feel good. I'm just going to go hammer out some miles. Yeah, we, have a, we all have a limited amount of time energy and effort that we can use right on a on a daily basis on hourly on a, on a 
moment by moment. We're limited with how much time, energy, and effort that we've got. So, and also we can look even bigger on a macro scale. We have limited time on this planet. As far as I know, like, you know, like it's one and done. We don't get a do-over. So it makes sense when you stop and think about it is if you know why you're spending your time each day on the things that you're spending your limited time, okay, we can't get the time back. So if you know why you're spending your time on whatever it is you're doing, and then when you have your your whys and you know why you're spending that time, and then if you know where you're going to put your focus and your attention during that time. So you know why you're going to do it, but then you know exactly what you're focusing on, where it is that you're you're putting all your attention on, then guess what's going to happen? It's going to be more productive. You're going to enjoy it more. Why? Because it's a thoughtful action. It's a thoughtful process because you've actually spent the time to understand why you're doing it, why you're willing to do that and put your attention on doing whatever it is that you want to do and not on something else. So it becomes productive. It becomes more joyful. It becomes more fun. And I think like that's what life is all about, right? Enjoying yourself. And if you're understanding why you're doing what you're doing and you know where your attention is going to be and and I think that's really a true way of living each moment of each day and if you start living each moment of each day and you start living each day you start living each week then you're going to live a more fulfilled life that is that is it and that leads to a question that it couldn't have been a better transition into a question that we'd love to ask everybody are motto at live better is to have the best day ever every single day and what we mean by that is honestly to create that to like you've mentioned surround yourself with the right people have the right mindset be able to respond versus react and understand that sometimes shit doesn't go the way that you planned it and then you have to make it a learning opportunity everything you've been talking about is is just really focused in on on a lot of the same principles and We'd love to ask people if you could wake up tomorrow, Luke, and do anything you wanted. There's no restrictions. You could be anywhere, do anything, be with anybody. Uh, what does your best day ever look like? <sighs> do I have 24 hours? You have 24 hours. You can run as many miles as you want. <sighs> My best day. My best day would be... Oh, it would be waking up with um, my immediate family, um, my wife, my sister, uh, my, my brother-in-law, my nephews, my mum and dad. My mum and dad live on the other side of the world. So first and foremost, um, we would wake up under the same roof, right? I think I'm massively close with my family, even though I left my family home uh, when I was 16, um, but uh, very close to my family. So I think my best day ever would be waking up under the same roof as as my immediate family and my and my loved ones, and um, spending the day with all of them because my fam- my sister and nephews live three hours away from me. My mum and dad live on the other side of the world, and I think it would just be spending uh, most of the day with them, but also spending some time alone by myself, um, doing some sort of physical activity. Um, and then spending some alone time with my wife and then at the same time connecting with uh, 
with with people wherever we were. Um, as you can tell, uh, the core essence of of who I am is uh, about community, is about people, is about family. So I think um, the yeah the best day would be to spend time with my family, to spend time with my wife, to spend time with myself, and to connect with others. Um, that would be a pretty cool day. That sounds like a fantastic day. I think one of the things I pull from that is it was about time allocation and it was about the understanding of that. And you mentioned this a few minutes ago that, you know, that's really all we have. And so to be able to do things that we want to do with the people we want to be with is, is really what, what matters. And I think that that, if anything, if anything, anybody can pull from this episode, it's just understanding that, you know, we choose to do what we do with our time and we want to make sure that we're doing exactly what it is we want to be doing with that. So that that is great. Uh, there's so many different ways for people to to check out what you're doing, what's next, what you've done, where you've gone from. Where can people find out more about you? Where can people find your book? Where can they find what's going on with your uh, your show on Amazon? All that stuff. Yeah. Um, so I've got my my book Chasing Extreme, which is a, an autobiography at the ripe old age of. Uh, well, 35 when it was when it was published. Um, I've got to do a bit more living before I write another one. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime, uh, Chasing Extreme, it's called. It's also on Audible. Um, that was probably one of the toughest things I've ever done. Um, re- read my audio book. It's about 10 and a half hours. Um, so, and the audio book has about three hours of bonus material where at the end of each chapter when I read the, the book page for page, I go a little bit uh, off script and I add a few more stories and a few more insights and with over time from when I wrote the book, a bit more reflection so to answer a few more questions that people might have from chapter to chapter. So that's on Audible, Chasing Extreme and Amazon. I've got two documentaries on Amazon Prime, one called The Ultimate Triathlon, my 2,000-kilometer in 12-day swim, bike and run from Morocco to Monaco and then The 500 Man. Um, which is a 500-kilometer triathlon. Um, but I'm on all social media, Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter, and all the rest of it at Luke Taberski. And if you want to know anything about um, my coaching or my performance mindset for athletes course, LukeTaberski.com is is the best place. And just come say hi um, and connect. And, and if I can help you with anything, just reach out. Luke, thank you so much, man. It was it was really cool to to hear about your journey. Thanks for for being very vulnerable and opening up about a lot of things that I think people in this world and people that are are doing a lot of these things are like you even said at some points of your life were hidden in the background. And so I think it's important for us to talk about these things and and understanding how we can use things like endurance and relationships to really just build ourselves up. 100%. And being vulnerable with the truth, whether it's good or bad, um, is, a, is a superpower. Because being vulnerable with the truth means no one can take that power away from you. You control that. So I think if people can take anything away from today is, yeah, if you feel good, tell people you feel good. If you're having a rough day, tell people you're having a rough day. And the people that mean something to you, the more vulnerable you are with the truth, the more honest you are, they're the ones that will stick around and lift you up when you're having a rough day and celebrate with you when you're having a good one. Well said, brother. Thanks so much and uh, have the best day ever. You too, guys. Thanks for having me on.